verse 9, wherefore. In other words, because Jesus emptied himself of the glory, took on human form, took our sins on himself, died the humbling death, was buried. Because of that, wherefore, verse 9, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we're going to look at the name above all names. And I hope that this revered place that God has exalted Jesus Christ, that you and I, in our hearts, will also exalt Him. Because someday, this has not yet happened, someday He is going to put all things at His feet. And every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be a glorious day. But you and I want to be on the right end of that. So let's jump in prayer. Pray for these needs I mentioned earlier. And then we're going to go right into the Scriptures. Father, You are so good to us. Thank You for Your wonderful goodness. We pray for David Rapine. Father, thank You so much for uh, healing him and that he seems to be improved and comfortable. We just pray You'd help him to get um, to, just to heal completely and to not be in pain, that his hip would recover. We pray for Jim Kerr, that You'd help him with his back to get stronger and stronger. Pray for Joanne Tomkowitz that you give her uh, good days. Give her strength. Give her, thank you, Lord, that she was able to, to be blessed by being able to hold uh, her very first great-grandchild. And uh, we pray you would bless her. We pray for Skip and for Kylie that you'd help them as their bodies adapt to these new uh, kidneys and that there would never be uh, any rejection there, that these kidneys would last them for the rest of their long lives. And we just commit that to you. And Father, help me now. Help me to do what you've already done and to lift up the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ. Help me to do that today uh, in a way that would honor you. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We come to a text today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And I'm going to mention a word that I mentioned previously in this study. I believe it was in the study of Philippians. Um, it is a common thing really for anyone that really knows the Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul, as a Pharisee, even before he came to know the Lord, he knew the Scriptures. Of course, at that time it was the Old Testament, or what's the Tanakh, to the Jews. Paul was a Pharisee, a religious Jew, and he studied, and uh, according to the law, perfect, he would say later on here, he studied the Scriptures and because the Scriptures were in him, he ate, breathed, slept, drank Scriptures. Because of that, they would come out in, in various forms. He was so familiar with many of the Old Testament texts that it would just come out in his conversation um, in various ways. And we already see that. We saw that previously with something that's, that has been called intertextuality. Intertextuality is when someone, like Paul, and he does it here, many believe, it's when they become so familiar with scriptures that when they're teaching, they'll present a new thought using 
a portion of the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe the wording, maybe the imagery. And Paul apparently does that on various occasions. He's not giving a, he's not in, giving a new interpretation, but he's taking something and then teaching something new. And that apparently is what he did here in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And here's the text that many believe Paul has in mind. And I'm just going to read it to you so you have it tucked away there. It's Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 through 23. Now, the beginning might not sound like, you know, how could Paul have this in mind? But when you hear the last verse or two, you'll hear what I just read. So here's Isaiah 45, beginning of verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, come draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto the God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. That is a text very much reminds me of a text that we've looked at recently in Jeremiah, of uh, the passage in Job at the end where God finally spoke to Job, and he kind of sets things straight. Remember with Job, Job was questioning some things about God, and God said, began to ask him questions. Where were you when I created the world? And then he just asks all these questions. And this is a lot like that, where God is establishing the fact that he is omnipotent. He's the one that created everything. And he sets that up. Clearly, this passage in Isaiah is one that exalts and magnifies Yahweh as Lord of all. Now, the New Testament they would use the Greek translation of the Hebrew, so the word Yahweh was replaced with the word for the Lord. And now, Paul is taking this and, and lifting up Jesus Christ as Yahweh. He is Yahweh. And we're going to look at that today. Um, so let's jump right in. Let me give you the outline. We're going to look at three things from this text, 9, 10, 11. Each, one, each verse is our point. First of all, the exaltation in verse 9. God has highly exalted him. Then uh, we are going to see the enormity. And that is verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then 
then we're going to see the eminence. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is above all. He is the highly exalted one. So let's go back to verse 9 and look at the exaltation. Now remember, we just saw the great example of Jesus humbling himself, becoming a man, coming to this earth as a servant, and then dying the most humiliating death on a Roman cross. And now God is exalting him. Wherefore, because of that, because of that great example for you and I to follow, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That's a major thing. That our Savior would be exalted above everything. Some people have a problem with that. Some people have a problem with the, the exclusivity, the magnification of Jesus Christ. But I submit to you that He understood who He was. He also made no bones about it. Listen to some of His own utterances while He was on this earth. In John 14 and verse 6, Lazarus had died. And He is going to give some major teaching about, uh, to Mary and Martha, Lazarus' two sisters, regarding who He is. And He would say in the beginning of that text, John 14, 6, He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? That's like you're talking about putting someone above everything else. Of course, there's a lot of religions that have a problem with that. They look at Jesus and they'll say, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a prophet. Whereas the liberal Christians would say, Jesus is someone we can follow. But they do not give him that exalted place, exclusive place, that again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's exclusive. And then in John chapter 11, speaking to Mary and Martha, he would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The resurrection and the life? In fact, the greatest thing, in John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, some people that haven't studied the Scriptures may fail to understand. We're not talking about a, a bad English grammar text. We're talking about a supreme title that Jesus Christ is calling for Himself. Listen to this, John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, they're talking about Abraham, before Abraham, you know, the Jews worshipped Abraham long ago. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, any English teacher would tell you, you are, that's important. What do you mean, before Jesus was, I am? It should be, before Jesus was, I was. But that's not what it says. You see, back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, Yahweh was revealing Himself to Moses and to the people of Israel and calling Moses to be the leader. And Moses was needing some assurance. 
because he was about ready to take on a role that would be mammoth and be questioned. And so Moses said, when I tell them who sent me, what's your name that I can tell them? And God revealed himself as the, the I am, the self-existent one. And, and he said, I am. You tell them that I am hath sent you. And in John chapter 8, Jesus was clearly claiming to be the I am of Exodus 3.14. The self-existent one. And so when he said, before Abraham was, I am. In fact, he said that several times in that text, that, that passage there. And the Jews knew exactly. They took up stones to throw at him because he was making himself to be God. He claimed to be that exalted one. Jesus even, even said in John chapter 10, I, He that entereth not by the door unto the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And then in verse 7, he said, uh, I am the door of the sheep. And then he talked about anyone that comes any other way, but through me is a thief and a robber. Wow. You understand that? That Jesus Christ is claiming to be the exclusive way to God. Now, someone once said, either he was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord of all. You can't just, you cannot say Jesus Christ was a great prophet, great teacher. He was making himself to be God. And if he is not God, he is a lunatic, and he does not deserve that exalted honorable position either he is who he claimed to be and therefore every single one of us are going to answer to him it is so important that you and i understand what what peter preached in acts chapter 4 actually was that stephen this was the sermon neither is there salvation in any other? The idea of any, no other name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men. He's talking about Jesus, identified in that text. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Do you realize? You must be saved. What a, what a statement. You and I, we must be saved, to be delivered from the penalty of our sins. Are you saved? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So many people are trying to earn their salvation by doing good works. And salvation is not through religious religion. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. If you have not magnified Him, if you've not come through Him, according to Him, you're not coming to God. There's no other way. Have you come to Jesus Christ? Now we go back to verse 9 now. That was the, the um, exaltation. In fact, let me just share this briefly. I'll, I have so many notes that I've condensed from like four pages down to one page. And one page is even too much to bring to the pulpit. Um, so let me just try and summarize this. Do you know that in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about this magnified place of Jesus. In fact, in Proverbs, 
it says, um, it goes through and it says, you know, what is his name? Talking about God who created. In fact, it's one of those passages like the one I just read in Isaiah where God is exalted. He's magnified. He's the creator. And then it asks the Jew in Proverbs, it says, what is his name? And everyone would reply, Yahweh. And then it says, and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. You think, what? God, Yahweh, has a son? Well, listen to this verse. Old Testament, the Tanakh. Psalm 2 and verse 12 says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Kiss the son. The idea of kissing a uh, a higher, someone higher, a master was a very clear thing in the Old Testament. Hebrews were very familiar with that. But I want you to think about this. Psalm 2 is saying to the Old Testament saint, kiss the son. And that's exactly what's happening here in Philippians chapter 2. He is being exalted and every single one of us must. And that the idea of the word kiss is to venerate. It's to honor. And that's what That's what's going to happen when all is said and done. You and I, everyone, will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You just don't want to make it your last. In other words, you don't want to make it a decision you have to do after you die. Because those who bow in humble submission to Jesus Christ prior to death are going to be saved by him. Remember, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, the idea is now on this side of, of death, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Your opportunity, my opportunity to believe in Jesus is here and now. I've known too many of my friends that have put that decision off. And they said, oh, you know what, that's something I can deal with when I'm older. And they weren't given that much time. They did not know. They were living on borrowed time. You and I don't know when our appointment with death will be. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. If you die without bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and believing on Him, making Him your Savior, you will not be ready to face him on Judgment Day. And, and I, have, I have all this. I, I, I probably spent way too much time this week studying Psalm 2 because there's different, there's an interpretation that says that word shouldn't be son, but it should be the Hebrew word purity, and it's not referring to, to Jesus the Son. Um, and there's clear evidence because it is an Aramaic term. We were using that in our Bible study today. There is an Aramaic term. Um, this is an Aramaic term, the word for son. And there's so, there's so much about it, but it's very clear, folks, that, that uh, the Jewish Tanakh, up until 1917, translated this properly as son, the way our Bible has it translated. That is, it is kiss the son. And so every human being is going to venerate, honor, kiss the son. But you don't want it to be a forced thing. So let's jump in. Verse 10. First we saw the exaltation. Now we see the enormity. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And this is, without going into great detail, this is where this contextual, uh, intertextuality is, where there's the phrasing of this verse and the next verse clearly is connecting it with what God said in that text in Isaiah, uh, that this is clearly that in mind and that he's expounding on it, now lifting up Jesus Christ as Yahweh, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. It is the, the final declaration. And in fact, one of the, the um, commentators on a, that I'm reading on this talked about, in fact, he used a phrase, which is a, a really important phrase that I love, where he talked about the um, eschatological ramifications. In other words, the terms that Paul uses, he's challenging the believers. Now, the believers in Philippi were going through severe persecution. Paul was already imprisoned, waiting trial. They were being pressured because they were living in a Roman colony. And the, the hubbub was, these Christians are not loyal to Caesar. Caesar is the real Lord. And so now they were being pressured to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ and honor Caesar. And there was great pressure on them, it is believed. And now Paul is using this to, to give Jesus his high and exalted position. But you see, by that time, and at that time as well as now, God had not put all things under Jesus' feet. In other words, He has become their Lord through salvation, but He has not become the Lord of all because God hasn't put everything under His feet yet. Satan is still loose, the prince of the power of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the God of small g of this world. But someday, God is going to put everything under His feet. And by the way, that's when this is going to happen. The enormity. Every knee will bow. I want to ask you something. Have you bowed your knee? In other words, in your heart, have you humbled yourself before Jesus Christ who died on a cross so that you might have your sins forgiven? You know, I grew up religious. I was very religious. Um, I was a, an acolyte. Was a term we used for, uh, you know, being part of the service, and I got to ring the bells, and it was pretty cool. I thought, but I was religious, and I remember as a young boy, uh, my brother had an album that came out that uh, I was really into rock music, and this was it was called Jesus Christ Superstar. You ever hear that? It came out in 1970, and uh, it was a rock opera, and I listened to that so many times. I was so into that. Some major jams and all that it was like this is cool and I thought because I'm religious you know hey I'm religious I believe in Jesus I thought this 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 is pretty cool you know this is this is all about Jesus Christ in fact the music critics it gave Jesus Christ superstar rave reviews the music was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and the lyrics were written by Tim Rice Many churches, even evangelical gospel preaching churches, praised it and said this could be a great tool to introduce young people 
to Jesus Christ because it has their music. And over the years, uh, there have been different interviews uh, by Tim Rice specifically who wrote the lyrics. <clears throat> and he made it very clear. He had no intention of exalting Jesus Christ. In fact, he deliberately <clears throat> wrote this rock opera to repudiate Jesus Christ. He stated, Although the Gospels seem largely accurate in their telling of the events of the crucifixion, one can see great flaws in their, in their portrayals of both Christ and Judas. He said that in March of 1970 in Seventeen Magazine. Rice produced a text that flagrantly denies the most important uh, things of the Gospel. He presents a false Christ. Listen to what he said. He said the idea of the whole opera is to have Christ seen through the eyes of Judas and Christ as a man, not as God. And the fact that Christ himself is just as mixed up and unaware of exactly what he is as Judas is. Wow. I never paid attention to the words. I was just, you know, I was into the jams and the guitar solos and all that. But, you know, uh, I, I recently read the lyrics of it. And I, I remember the lyrics as I reread it. And it is clearly, you know, he's just a man. Mary Magdalene would sing. I mean, it, it, they brought him down. This was clearly an attempt not to magnify Jesus Christ, but to give him the perspective, kind of Judas's perspective. It's blasphemous. You see, there's coming a day, folks, when Jesus Christ really is going to be exalted. The ultimate and only superstar because He is God in the flesh. Now you and I, we need to exalt Him even now. We need to magnify His name. You and I are given the choice to submit to Him, to acknowledge Him, to make Him our Savior. Have you done that? I'm not saying have you gotten religious? Did you join a church? Did you, you know, pray a certain prayer? What we're talking about is responding to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When he died on that cross, according to Isaiah, the Lord, God the Father, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5:17. He, that's God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. He knew no sin. Why would He make Jesus to be sin for us? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Again, it's the only way. So you and I, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have broken God's commandments, not just in deed, but in thought and in our hearts. And if you and I face God someday, you and I are in deep trouble. In fact, Jesus said, if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. He didn't say, if you believe not that I am he. He was claiming, again, if you believe not that I am Yahweh, you will die in your sins. So I want to ask you something. Have you ever come, metaphorically speaking, have you ever in your mind come to the cross of Jesus Christ? Because that's where everything happened. On that day, so many years ago, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. And you may remember darkness 
midday and darkness came. The veil of the temple, very significant. The thing that separated God from man tore from the, the high top all the way to the bottom on that, that moment, many believe, when God made him to be sin. Your sin. Since you hadn't even you weren't even born yet. And yet your sin and my sin was put on Jesus Christ. And he paid the penalty fully. So many people think, oh, I'm going to try to atone. I'm going to really try to do good because I've been really bad and I've got a guilty conscience. That's a good thing if you understand what you've done. But you can never atone for your sin. You shouldn't even try because He did it all. He paid the full price. In fact, when He died, He said, It is finished, which was an economic phrase. Tetelestai, one Greek word. When He was on the cross, He said, It is finished. In other words, the idea of that is paid in full. So now all you and I need to do is come to the foot of cross, the cross, see what Jesus did, and cry out to Him for mercy. Romans 10 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never come to the foot of the cross and cried out to God for mercy, you need to do that as a sinner. Jesus gave the example of two men that went into the temple to pray. One was a righteous Pharisee, self-righteous. He was so proud of himself and all that he did. He thought, was God, he thought as soon as he walked in, God was patting him on the back. And then there was the public and the tax collector. He wasn't only despised by his fellow peers, he was despising himself because he knew he was not a man of integrity. He was a sinner. Couldn't even look up to God. And all he said was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went back to his house, justified, saved. That's all you need to do. Is come to the cross of Calvary and cry out for God's mercy. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. Save me. Have you ever done that? If you did, I want to I submit to you, if you did that, you humbled yourself and you were believing. God saved you at that minute. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. At that moment when you believe and will not come into condemnation, but you're passed from death to life, Jesus said in John 5.24. In other words, you may not have... I, I, rem, I still remember to this day... Many, many, many moons ago, I was 17 years old, and I was sitting on a weight bench. You ever been to a, a, a gym? You know, the weight benches? God can save you in the most peculiar places. I don't remember how much weight was on the bench, you know, as far. I just remember sitting on the bench, attending a Bible study, and one Saturday morning at the age of 17, I bowed my head, and in my mind, I was before the foot of the cross, and I cried out for God's mercy. And he saved me that day. I did not see any angels. I did not hear the hallelujah chorus. I didn't even feel any different. So, Pastor Lyon, maybe you're really not saved. Salvation is not how you feel or what you see. It's what you believe in. It's what you put your trust in. And that day, sitting on that weight bench at the New You Health Spa. No, it wasn't that one. It was the Spa Health and Fitness Center on Westchester Pike, way down in Westchester. It's now a Social Security building. And there's probably no weights there, I'm sure. 
But when I sat down that day, I called out to the Lord and He saved me. And it took me some months after that studying the Scriptures to realize fully what had happened as I grew in the Lord. But oh, how important that is. Have you had that experience? See, I don't sit on weight benches. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ where in your mind you went to the foot of the cross where Jesus paid the penalty? That's where it all happened. That's where God saves souls at the foot of the cross. Finally, we look at verse 11, the eminence. The exaltation, the enormity, and now the eminence, which is a Latin word for the priority, and this is it. At the na- at the t- uh, and that every tongue should confess, so every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, someday every knee will bow. You think about the defiant person that goes to their death of a devoted atheist, that clenches their fist when they take their last breath. They do not believe in God. They are convinced they're going to die and just go back into the earth. And what's the Bible say again? It's appointed unto men once to die. Nobody argues with that. After this, the judgment. There are going to be so many people. We wrote a track that we handed out on our wedding day. It's on the track rack. It's called, Will You Be Surprised? I encourage you to, to, to get it. Because I, I, my mind has been captivated by this. There's going to be so many people that are going to be just thoroughly shocked. Because they're going to close their eyes on death and they think, this is it. I'm going to enter the, the nothingness. And then they're going to open their eyes to point it unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. If you don't get right with God on this side of heaven, He is so holy that He must punish sin. And you've got to come to terms with that. I close with this as far as our responsibility. Uh, Back in January of 2012, there was a massive cruise ship called the Costa Concordia with more than 4,200 passengers and crew. And it was sailing the coast of Italy on a tour of the Mediterranean Sea. The captain deviated from his course and the ship struck a reef. Some of you may remember this in the, in the news. What was that? Um, 2012, that was 11 years ago. Um, after taking on water, the ship began to sink. And so everyone on, uh, abandoning his duty, the passenger, Captain Francesco Chettino, left the ship instead of remaining to make sure everyone had, was rescued. And you know what they say. The captain goes down with the ship. Uh, And he did not do that. Uh, In a phone conversation, the local Coast Guard commander repeatedly pressed the captain for an update on the situation. He said, and I quote, tell me if there are women and children and people in need there. And uh, he he did not give a satisfactory reply. So he was ordered to get back on the ship to make sure that everybody was rescued. And his response was, you realize it's dark and we can't see anything. And the response, he said, "Um, you've been telling me that for an hour. Now get back on board, the Coast Guard official shouted. In fact, the captain was later arrested for his failure to do duty, resulting in the deaths of more than 30 people. You and I are surrounded daily by people that are perishing. And you and I are challenged 
to rescue the perishing. You and I have a responsibility. We have the good news. What I just presented to you about Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, and that faith in that, the gospel, is what saves a soul. You and I have that knowledge. Now, maybe you've never been saved and you need to make sure, you know, secure your own salvation, get your own life jacket on, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you can be ready to save others as well. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I close with this. Spurgeon made two sayings that he would often articulate that I think are very profound as far as salvation, he would say, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. Some people think, I don't know if I'm holding on to Jesus enough. That's not salvation. He's the one that reaches down. And when someone's in his father's hand, no one can pluck them out. And then in another statement, he said, he said, salvation is not what you bring to Christ, but by what you take from him. So many people have this idea that they're going to, I was this way as a religious person. I was so confident that I was such a good kid. At the age of 17, I thought, when I stand before God, I've got so many credentials that I can throw His way. I was a Boy Scout. Are you impressed, God? I was an altar boy. I go to church every Sunday. I mean, I gave all my credentials. Just like Paul, we'll see later on in Philippians. But it's not what we bring to God. We come empty-handed and we take from Him what Jesus did on Calvary. Don't let your religious deeds keep you from throwing all that away and grasping Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's how you get saved. Throw all that away, count them but dung like Paul said. It's not your religious deeds. It's not your baptism. It's not the ordinances or the sacraments. It's what Jesus Christ did for you. Embrace that. Trust Him alone and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would help us and open our minds and our eyes to the glorious light of the Gospel that um, we would understand that it is not our righteous deeds, our religious stuff. It is what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And when He did, Father, it was uh, done forever. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews says. Help us to accept the once for all sacrifice, the, the full atonement of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. May we cling to that and nothing else. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Keep your heads bowed just for a moment. I want to ask you this morning, uh, just to help you out, I want you to grasp this and solidify this in your mind. And, and right now I don't want a response, but I will. Has there been that time in your life where you responded in your mind and you came to the Lord, you cried upon the Lord, you, you called upon the Lord to save you, you trusted in Him alone, you believed on Him. It's a once-for-all thing. When you do it, at that moment, you're passed from death unto life. So we're not just talking about some prayer you might have prayed every week. We're talking about, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved?
Now, if you know that, what a blessing it is. But I want you, and we're not going to look around. It's just me looking. Uh, to pastor you better, I want to know if, if there was a time when you did that. You prayed and asked the Lord. You believed on the Lord. You are saved according to the Bible. Would you let me know that just by raising your hand and then putting it back down? Everyone all across. I'm looking across. Anyone? Okay, put you, you may put them down. Anyone else that didn't raise their hand that has done that? All right, now I, again, I, I saw many of you raise your hands. I do not know. But if you were not able to raise your hand, in other words, you have not had that time of responding to Jesus Christ, please see me after or one of our other church leaders because we, we want to help you to that. You can settle that today if the Lord's dealing with you. It is that simple. What a blessing to be able to leave here knowing that you are saved, that you're on your way to heaven. There's no greater joy and we would be privileged to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray for those that did not raise their hand. I pray that you'd work in their hearts and that, that they would see me or someone in our church about they need to settle this matter. It is so important. Father, help them to overcome whatever obstacles to just get to someone to settle this matter once and for all. And we'll thank you for it. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you that it's all of you. We rejoice today and we magnify the name of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.